0: The old preachers used to say, if you want to hear from God, pick up his word. He's speaking. And what I want to say to you today is that God is speaking to us. He is speaking to us through the lives of those who have already lived. You know, when I was out in uh, Orlando area preaching last Sunday, the church was predominantly Puerto Rican. And I was teaching them that We can't just have Puerto Rican churches. We can't just have black churches, white churches. We have to have a church where all cultures, all people can come. But I kind of maybe looked at them a little bit and saw maybe that they were like, who's this white boy telling all of this to us, you know? So I wish I could have taken some of my gente with me. And you guys would have sat there and been like, you tell them, pastor. You my gringo pastor. You tell them. Because here's the deal. Listen to me, my friends. The world wants to separate us in this room. They want us to be divided over economics, who's got the most who, you know, and who's got the least, the rich against the poor. They want to separate us by our culture. What kind of minority are you? Where did you come from? What did this person do to you in your past history, though it doesn't affect you much now? They want you to look at the Bible as an old archaic book with morals that hinder culture instead of helping it. They want you to feel sorry for the, for the LGBTQ community and what religion has done to them. They want to place those rates of suicide on your conscience and say, LGBT kids commit suicide because of what you believe. But the devil is a liar. They commit suicide because of what they believe. You know, you look at some of the traumas that people have gone through in life. In the Holocaust, there was a very low rate of suicide. During the African slave trade, a very low rate of suicide. Why? Because all of those people had a God belief that got them through their struggles. The reason why the LGBTQ community is so suicidal is because they're rejecting the very God who created them for a purpose. Don't put that back on me. Own that. That is your community's fruit from your wicked, wicked hearts. Get saved if you're LGBTQ and you won't want to kill yourself anymore. Find Jesus if you have gender dysphoria and you'll not want to hurt yourself anymore. And then what we now teach our kids is to go to UIC or go to UIV or a, a, UI, a University of Illinois is what? U of I. Go to U of I. Go to UIC. What? So they can get an STD? STDs running rampant. And now they want to make the virgin culture feel ashamed as one wicked liberal burned all of the the promise rings and made it into a woman's private part and celebrated abortion and feminism and wickedness. No, the greatest women that I know are women of God, pure and holy. And if they didn't start off Christianity as a virgin, they got born again a virgin. How many of you have been born again a virgin? How many of you have, if you committed abortion or helped assist abortion, you've repented of that murderous act indeed and you're forgiven? But you see, we live in a time where they want us to forget, listen, that Jesus Christ is coming back. Even now, some atheists are wishing that Christians would get the culture back because now they're realizing a godless culture isn't even a culture they like to live in. Have you ever thought about that? At first they said, we don't need God in the schools, we don't need prayer, we don't need Ten Commandments, and now that they see the metal detectors still can't stop the guns and violence, now that they see that young people are committing suicide on more drugs than ever before to try to get their minds right, all of these things are happening. There is now atheists going, well, 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 maybe it was good having those Christians there to begin with. I'm telling you the truth. Look up what Richard Dawkins has said. My wife sent me the link. One of the world's famous atheists is saying, I am missing those Christians in the English culture. Because when you take off the restraints, when you say everything goes, what are you going to have left, friends? You're going to have people with 20 different gender pronouns. You're going to have wrong being called right and right being called wrong. And you're not going to have fairness. See, everybody thinks we just want it to be fair. We just want it to be fair. But what you're not asking for is fairness. What you want is special rights. You see, the beautiful thing about being a Christian is Christianity doesn't care about your race. Unless you're a Jewish person, it doesn't matter. You are considered of a dog culture. You are considered of the wicked Gentile heathen. Hey, my friends, have you read about David killing Goliath? What side do you think your people are on? (laughs) We weren't on David's side. He was killing our people. That's the lesson of the story. Oh, you get quiet when I preach like that. Oh, no, pastor, the Italians, they're on David's side. No, they weren't. The Romans crucified our Lord. Oh, the Latin Americans. No, they were pulling out hearts that were beating to their wicked gods, the Greeks, The Asian cultures of China and Japan, the Oriental culture, wicked. What was the righteous people? Israel. So unless you're from Israel, you have nothing to even talk about when it comes to your culture. Who cares? The Bible doesn't. The Bible goes out of its way to say there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor sentient or barbarian. Do you know that most of our cultures were considered barbarian by the people of God? I know the the Italians were considered barbarian. We worshiped Zeus. We worshiped all of the fake gods that we learned from our ancestors, the Polish, Scandinavian people. That's why I'm half Polish and Italian. But yet the Bible gives us all hope, doesn't it? Where are our people found now in the Bible? Why do I say I'm on David's side? Not because Italy was on David's side. Not because America was on David's side. Though, if you're just going to line up nations, America's done better than any other nation trying to be on the God of the Bible's side. I challenge you to show me otherwise. But even then, I don't read the Bible and go, Where's the American side? I'm on the American side. No, I read the Bible and I say I'm on God's side. You see, our culture wants us to be so twisted up in our politics, so twisted up in our schools, so twisted up in our worldview that when we hear preaching like this, we think that somehow it's hate when it's really not. Did anybody here ask you your ethnicity when you wanted to join our discipleship? Did anybody here ask you your income? No, we did not. But we asked you, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to go forward with Jesus? And so if we're going to do social justice, we do social justice with Jesus. You see, the arm, the power of our charity is done by the gospel. Do I want sick people helped? But I want them saved first because you can go to hell with the flu vaccination. Do I want the hungry fed? Absolutely, but I want them saved first because you can go to hell with a full stomach. Do I want those in prison to be reformed and their lives to be changed? Absolutely. But you can go to hell with a job in a 401c3 or a 401k rather. 501c3 is what we have as churches. Jesus is coming back. And he's not coming back for white folk, for for brown folk, for Asian folk, or for rich folk, or for poor folk. He's not coming back for Americans or for Italians. He's not even just coming back for his own people. That's why he didn't come back the first time with judgment and the cross. If he only cared about the Jewish people, it all would have happened the day he died on that cross. He would have resurrected, spit fire out of his mouth, and judgment would have happened then. And guess what? All of us non-Jews wouldn't be there. But I thank God that after the cross, he then said, I'll ascend to heaven and I'll be back. Because what are we supposed to be doing during this time? Getting the gospel to the nations. And I'm glad that the gospel has reached my nation. I'm glad the gospel is reaching all the nations of the world today. And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 25 and learn about judgment. Somebody say, only God can judge me. And that scares the hell out of me. Oh, you got quiet? Say it like you mean it, church. Only God can judge me. And that scares the hell out of me. Come on, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. Somebody say a long time. Amen. A long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up. Somebody say, get woke. Yes. Amen. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, get your own oil. Your own oil. Come on, get your own oil. There are things I can't give you, and God is not a socialist. You're not getting free handouts in the kingdom. You want the oil of God, you better go and get some. I can't give you my oil. There are things I can give you. You need a ride to church, we'll get you one of those. Come on, you need some some soup, some turkeys for whatever Thanksgiving, we'll get you some of that. But there's things I can't give you and no one can give you. And that's the oil to keep your lamp burning for God. said, No. There won't be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Verse verse 10 goes on. It says, But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came, said, Lord, Lord, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Nancy, did you know the bridesmaids of our wedding? Did you know them? You knew them by name, didn't you? Don't you think I knew my brides, uh, my groomsmen? Did I know their names? How in the world does this bridegroom now say, I don't know you? I don't know you. You're not coming in here because it isn't a knowledge of information. It's a, it's a knowledge of revelation and of heart transformation. He says, I don't know you. You're not of me. Because if you would have been of me, you would have had your oil burning. And when I came here, you wouldn't have been lazy for getting to be responsible. I don't know you, and I don't owe you nothing. He says, but I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. We're going through the book of Matthew chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and what we are learning is astonishing, that God cares about us, that he wants us to be ready, even though, come on, go up to the top where it says he's a long time in coming. He said, here's the parable. It's simple. It is like a man coming to his wedding. And as he is coming, there are ten virgins waiting for him, keeping their lamps burning. But some don't keep enough oil, and so we have to leave and go get more. When they do, he comes. Now, I want you to notice this. It doesn't say there's five virgins that are righteous and then five adulterous who are ratchet. It says all ten of them are righteous what does that mean? Your virginity as a Christian was given to you by a gift of God. But if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So he's not talking to the ratchet people out here. He's not talking to Billy Eilish. He's not talking to Miley Cyrus. He's saying, y'all people in the church who are virgins, only God calls his people virgins. All the rest of them are adulterers and whoremongers in the Bible. I'm telling you. I could go through some prophetic stuff right here, and you you would think I'm reading X-rated stuff. He says some of the prostitutes, you get so horny for the devil, you look for the one with the biggest genitalia. That's the prophet speaking, and I don't say that to be gross, but that's our God saying that's how defiled you are. No, my friends, when he says these are virgins, that means they are children of God, and they got oil just like the other ones. That means they're saved. Oil representing the Holy Spirit and enlightenment, light illuminating their world. These are Christians. Some may say these are Christians. So what does it teach us? You can lose your salvation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know you want to believe right now since you got your Willy Wonka golden ticket. Nothing can go wrong. But I want to tell you something. Something can go wrong. Now, this chapter that we're going to read is going to give us that same story three different times. That's one of them. It is going to teach us very clearly, you can lose what you don't use. And he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to the ratchet. He's talking to the righteous. How many virgins do I have here with burning oil? Come on, any virgins here pure in the things of God waiting for their bridegroom? (laughs) Amen. And with the same excitement of your clapping, now you know who he's talking to. Talking to you. Talking to me And so what does that teach me? It teaches me that I'm responsible for what God gives me. Cults use this to say, you have to earn your salvation. That's why today, at 8: 30 in the morning, Jehovah Witnesses were on the bus stops preaching, because their cults tell them, just like Mormons, just like these other cults, if you don't do good works, you won't be saved. This is where they're coming from. And are they wrong to say it? Yes. But there's a partial truth that they're abusing. When truth is abused, it's misused. And so the truth becomes a lie. What is true about this? You are expected to put in work for God and you will be judged accordingly. But what is not true? That you work to become a child of God. Because if you notice, it doesn't say they're working to become virgins. It doesn't say that they're working to have the resources to get the oil. As a matter of fact, the story starts with them already virgins, with already having lamps, and enough money to go buy it because it doesn't say they broke. So what does that teach us? By grace through faith are we saved, made virgins, given the lamp of the Holy Spirit with enough, with 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 enough substance, with enough equity to get the fire to keep burning. And what that is, is a desire to have more of God in your life. The Bible says, Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what keeps the oil of the Holy Spirit burning in your life is you surrendering your life to Him. So you have all that you need to be that. That virgin that keeps the oil burning. What must you do? What must I do? We cooperate with the burning. We don't run away from the burning. We don't run away from the oil in our life and God changing us for His glory. We accept it. And so the Bible says it like this: Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, you're supposed to work it out. Somebody say, "Work it out." Now, when you're on the dance floor and you hear "work it out," what you think? That's when you're going to really start putting in moves. You're going to work it out. But here's the deal. I'm not working for my salvation. Do you see the difference? I'm not working to become a virgin. I'm working out from being a virgin. I'm not working to get oil and to keep my lamp burning. I'm not working for that. I'm working out what God has given me. Let me give you another example. Somebody say a parable within a parable. Oh, yeah, we're going deep. Imagine right now if I bought you a jet, if I had that kind of money, and then I gave you a gas card with unlimited money on it so that you had a jet always working and that you had as much gas as you ever needed on that card. And if I said, meet me in Paris next week, could you meet me in Paris? Yeah, but you would have to do something, right? But if you arrived in in Paris at the Eiffel Tower, would you show up doing the moonwalk saying, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. I bought a plane. I put gas in it. No, you'd be coming saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Do you see how it works? God gives us all that we need. It's by grace, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it is by grace through faith you've been saved. That is not of yourself, lest any man should boast. It is not by good works, but we have become God's workmanship in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to do. So all you have to do if you got the plane is what? Go inside it. If they're out of gas, give them the card. If the plane's out of gas, give them the gas card. So you have all that you need. That's what he's telling us. He's saying it is up to you to work what I already gave you. Work it out. Stay consistent in your Christian life because otherwise you will hear what those virgins hear. I don't know you. I don't know you. Man, doesn't that put the fear of God in you? How does he not know us? I mean, he created us. The Bible says he's then going to judge us, so he knows a whole lot about us. But how could he tell us, I don't know you? Because he doesn't know us in intimacy. See, I know my wife in a certain way. I don't know you. Come on, somebody. Can I say that again? Look at your wife or husband as I say this. Don't you know somebody called your spouse in a way you don't know somebody else? You see? And if she were to cheat on me, I would say, I don't know you like that anymore. You don't get this. You you don't get to know this anymore. You can only have it as a past memory. And see, that's the same way it is with God. He goes, oh, I know you informationally. I got everything written about you. But I don't know you here. I don't know you intimately. And you certainly don't know me. So the idea is as the virgins waiting for the bridegroom, we are to remain pure and holy, keeping our lamp burning. Otherwise, he will come when we least expect it, and he will tell us, depart from me, for I never knew you. Somebody say, preach it. Amen. Let's go to the next one. He tells them another parable about the end times. Verse 14. Again, somebody say again. I love it when Jesus tells it again. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags, to another two bags, and to another one bag of gold, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Somebody say he went on a journey. Amen. Amen. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. Somebody say double double up. Thank you. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. Somebody say double up. Thank you, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Verse 19, after what? Come on, after what? A long time. Did you get that in the other parable? He came back after a long time, the bridegroom. And here now the man's coming from his journey. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Somebody say, happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy. Woo! It's a happy day when Jesus comes back and you're ready. It's a happy day when you've been working for Jesus. When your boss comes and you've been doing what's right, you're happy. How many know when you've not been doing what's right, you're not happy? Hello. And I feel the same way because I'm a boss in the church. And when I see people working, I come around, I'm happy, happy, happy. But when I see them not doing the things, I am upset, upset, upset. Just as a parent, come on somebody, we relate to this. So he says, come share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Somebody say, happy, happy, happy. Amen. Let your face know what your heart is feeling. Put a big old smile every day as you wake up and serve God. Amen. You're going to get rewarded for this. You're going to get rewarded for what you do for Jesus. The man who had received one bag of gold came. He said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid. Some may say afraid. It doesn't say, I I got lustful. It doesn't say, I became a criminal. It doesn't say, I went over here and started abusing people, became violent. It says, I became afraid. Do you know that God will not feel sorry for you or I if we become afraid and stop working for him? Chick-fil-A cannot use the excuse, well, I was afraid of what they were going to do to us in China because we were trying to outgrow McDonald's. You can't get afraid. Joel Ocean's afraid to say sin, wickedness, hell when he preaches the gospel. But yet he still says he's doing the Lord's work. I'm going to let him face this on judgment day. God is his judge because I'll tell you what, I'm not afraid to say wicked, sin, or hell and all of that here. But God says they were. this man was afraid, went out and hid the gold in the ground. He said, here it is. It belongs to you. See, he didn't even spend it and waste it, did he? He said, you gave me one bag of gold, here's it back. Now watch what he says to him. Look what he says. His master replied, you great person. I love you so much. I'm going to give you another chance. What does it say? He replied, you what? Wicked, lazy servant. Now notice, everybody get this. Come on, check in here. You've already got the virgin one down. You know he's speaking to people that are in the church. How many of you all servants of God? Anybody here serving the devil? You serving the devil, how many are serving God? So he is not talking to the world. We already know they're going to hell. He has already dealt with them in Matthew 24 when the sun turns uh, uh, black and the moon turns towards red and the stars fall out the sky and the Bible says there'll be so much blood and flesh on the ground that the, the vultures are gonna gorge themselves. How many know he's already dealt with the world? He is talking to his servants. He is talking to his virgins, He said, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I had not sown, gather where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Verse 28, please. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. This is not socialism. This is not where you rob from the rich and give to the poor. This is where you take from the poor and give it to the rich. <laughs> See, y'all been, y'all been suckered in by a lesbian mayor, a bunch of liberal Chicago politicians. That is not how judgment day is going to be, friends. Everybody's not getting their fair share. You're getting what you work for and that's it. And let me just apply it since he applied it in business. Don't feel sorry for T-Mobile if they get bought out by AT&T or if your company get bought out by so-and-so because somebody's making moves and you're not. You better start making moves over what's going on in this world or they're going to take what you have. You see, I teach my children, you win in life. We did Bible quiz yesterday. It's a contest that you do with other Christian churches around the the, the city, and we were doing it out there in Naperville, and there was one little lame team that was there. They didn't really want to be there. These kids were just kind of looking at their buzzers, and I told my kids, you give it to them until they can't take it anymore. At the end of the score, it was 300 (laughs) to 10. Welcome to our church. Welcome to Metro Praise. You learn to win here or you go home a loser with your tail tucked between your legs. That's life. That's the Bible. It says, whoever has will be given more. The rich will keep getting richer. You better not hate. You better start celebrating and get you some of it, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Do you think on judgment day God's going to use an example like this but then feel sorry for us? I'm not saying you have to be rich to be blessed, but you better get some things in life. If that's his illustration about spiritual things, don't miss the natural things. Somebody better take Facebook off of the multimedia throne that it's on. Somebody better take down the next business and make it the great business. I'm not saying you have to break rules, be greedy, or love money. Just do what these folks did and doubled up. And when they came to giving bags of gold, you know how much they were worth in our day and age? I put the numbers up there. $600,000 was one bag of gold. Could you even be trusted with 600000 right now? Or would you go to the store, buy you some Gucci, buy you some Coach? Or would you invest it? See, come on, somebody. $600,000 was what the one got. The other one got two bags of that. That's 1.2 million. And the other one got five bags, five times 600,000. is what? Three million. You see, God entrusted them with a lot, but they didn't use it. So I'm going to take even a physical example out of this. Let's get to the spiritual, please. He said to the one, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew I worked hard, but you didn't do anything about it. Take that bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has 10 bags. That's why some of y'all ain't getting raises, promotions, or people coming to your business. You're getting outdid. Stop making excuses. Make moves. Amen? Make moves. I believe God will prosper you as you do. Bible says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Now look at verse 30. This is why when Jesus judged me, it scares the hell out of me. And throw that worthless, good-for-nothing servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Highlight worthless for me. Jesus said to his church, speaking to his servants, in which he had entrusted hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars to, he said, If you don't use it, you're gonna lose it and you're worthless to me. Don't anybody think on judgment day Jesus is crying for you? The Bible says he will look at you like you look at a gnat. Get out of my house. Get out of here, you buzzing fly. That's what we'll be on Judgment Day without God's mercy and grace. You see, it's just like when the Cubs won the World Series. Everybody who was a Cubs fan was happy, but if you were on the other team, you were sad. See, it's a happy day for those who are righteous when Jesus starts judging. It's a happy day for the one who's got five bags and doubled it to ten. Come on, somebody. It's a happy day for the one who's got two and now doubled it to four. But it's a sad day for anyone who buries what they have. Now, once again, does this mean we earn the bag of gold? do we earn our salvation? No. Does it say the servants went out and said, I'm going to earn 10 bags of gold, uh, five bags of gold, and earn my right to be a servant to this master? No. The story starts off. Where does it start off? They are a servant. They are already with the job. It starts off with, here's the gold. So what does that teach us? The cults are wrong. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, other religions who teach us we have to work to be saved. They are wrong. We do not work to become servants. We receive the gift of God to become a servant. It is given to us as a gift as we've learned in prior parables. He hires us out of his goodness. We receive the gift of all of our talents, the ability to do all that we do in this world. But what is the responsibility? What we do with the gift. And the play on word is in the old, uh, in the King James Old English, bags of gold were known as talents. And so the old preachers would say, what talents has God given you that you can use for his glory? So talents was a way of counting money. So what can you do for your Jesus? Because your Jesus wants you to multiply. So how can you multiply? Multiply reading your Bible. You don't know much about it now, but start reading it. How else can you multiply? Multiply in your good works. Maybe you can't help everybody, but you can help somebody. Somebody say amen to that. Multiply in your giving and generosity. Hey, we might not have a lot of wealthy people in the world here, but you can be wealthy in your giving, amen? You can give what you have to the Lord in generosity and you'll be just as blessed and more blessed than the millionaire who gives more dollar wise but less percentage wise. In other words, if there was a millionaire here today and he said, pastor, I just want to announce before the congregation, I'm giving $50,000. I would say, you robber and you thief, you owe God a hundred thousand off every million. Now, how many millions do you have? You you know, they like to boast on one, and I had one guy come up to me. I threw him off. It was when I was preaching at my dad's Bible study. He talked about winning a lawsuit and all the hundreds of thousands of dollars he got and how thankful he was. I said, did you tithe off of it? He got all quiet. And I said, you better go back to your savings and start tithing. You see, if you're here today making $100 a week as one of our young adults, and you tithe 10%, and you give offering... Another 2 or 3%, and you're giving 10, 12, 15% of your income to the Lord regularly. You're living as a generous giver. You're giving more than these people who give in those large uh, charitable giving auctions and all that, because that's not even a tenth. That's not even a fifth. That's not even a, a little percent of what they make. My wife and I were watching uh, Cuban on Shark Tank one day, you know, and he's helping out these entrepreneurs and all this. We figured out, I can't remember the exact ratio, but for him to give $100,000, because as, as being a multi-billionaire, it is the equivalent of me like giving a penny. Can you, can you even understand that? I mean, would you give me 100 pennies a dollar right now? That's like him just giving out 100,000. Now, I'm not saying he has to give it all the way like that. I'm just saying the amount of money doesn't determine what you are in your heart. If in your heart you're generous, you'll be generous with a lot of money. If you're stingy, you'll be stingy with a lot of money. My dad said he worked for, uh, he 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 as a financial planner, he would help a lot of these folks with their retirement and all of this. Well, this one guy sold his business, and he was retiring. Multi-million of dollars he had sold. He had never had that much at one time. He was just a blue-collar guy who worked hard and built his business. But now he had the big chunk. He said, Jim, first thing I want you to do is give the tithe. Why could he give the tithe off a couple million dollar check? Because he has been giving it off a hundred dollar check. And then as he got older, a thousand dollar check, ten thousand dollar check. He was generous. He was multiplying. He was giving what was given to him. He wasn't going to be a worthless servant because whatever you give to the church, whatever you give to God, the Bible says is given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 30, 60, 100 fold. The least amount in the kingdom you get back for everything you get is 30 times your value. If I had a stock to give you right now, I could say you get 30 times your value, would you do it? Come on, 60 times, 90 times, 100 times. That's what the Bible promises, 30 at the least. Now put it into perspective spiritually. We are servants of God. We are given talents, and we will be judged by what we do. And if we don't do it, we're going into outer darkness, and that is hell. Everybody say, bring it. it. Let's go to the last one. When the Son of Man comes, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his Father's glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. How many know at this point in the story, Jesus has told us who he is? He is not just a prophet. He is not just a good man. He is the God man. He is the son of man equal to the father. I have the scriptures as I go through the passage there in Daniel, seen Ezekiel. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls Jesus in Revelation the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Guess who that's set up in the Old Testament? God. Now, how many king of kings can you have, people? How many Lord of lords can you have? So either Jesus is equal to the Father, or we now have two or three gods. Now I thank God his word is clear to us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Christ reigning on behalf of the Father and the Spirit, the visible representation of the Father stamped in his image who will rule and reign forever. And the Bible says when he comes back, he's tatted up. And guess what tattoo he's got on his thigh? Spring break at Panama Beach. Woo! No, on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus says, this is who I am, boys. You see me now suffering. You see me dying now. You're going to get scared. You're going to feel like everything's falling apart. But remember this. I'm coming back in glory. Came once as a child in a manger. Next time as a conquering king, sword and fire out of my mouth. He said, I'm going to sit on the throne. On the throne, all nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Verse 34 the Bible then says he's going to say to them, the king will say to those on his right side come you are blessed by my father take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me i was in prison and and you came to visit me verse 37 then the righteous will answer him lord when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you the king will reply truly i tell you whatever you've done for the least of one of these my brothers and sisters of mine you did for who you did for me You see, the moment we're there on Judgment Day, Jesus looks right at us and he says, what you did for my brothers and sisters, you did for me. And the Bible teaches us, who are the brothers and sisters of Jesus? Who are they? Those who do the will of God. Because remember, the mother of Jesus came to him with the brothers and sisters and said, we want you to come outside. We want you to do all this. And Jesus said, I'm not coming outside. Who's my mother? Who's my brother and sister? And he looks around to those in the room, the disciples, and he says, these are my mother, brother, and sisters. How many believe that? How many remember that? And so even though I believe in helping homeless one-eyed Willie and going to visit someone in prison who's there from doing what is wrong, the first and foremost acts of charity are for the people of God. The scripture actually says, do good for all people, especially the people of God. So who are those who are visiting prison? Those who are persecuted. Who are those who are naked and those who are sick and all of those things? Those who are serving God and their suffering in this life. We go to them as the charitable arm of the church and we show them the mercy of God. And then, of course, what we do for our people, we do for other people. But he does not identify with, with the crack addict here, the heroin addict, and say, What you've done for that heroin addict, you've done for me. That is another scripture of general charity that we give those people. What he is specifically saying here is in the church, you were faithful in the church with the people of God. My gente, my people. And when you hurt, when you help them, you did it for me. And now we're, we're going to learn is when you hurt them. You were hurting me because now he speaks to the goats on his left. He now says, depart from me, those who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What was the eternal fire prepared for first? The devil and his angels. Was it ever prepared first for us? No, it was the devil and his angels, but now we're cursed with him. Why? because we did not do the things of God. Those people, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. Then they will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And highlight 46, and let's read it together. One, two, three. Then Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Any questions, class? It doesn't get any more clear than this. But now once again, did the sheep make themselves a sheep by the good works they did? No, apply the principles you've learned in the previous parables. Virgins don't make themselves virgins. Servants don't make themselves servants of God. Nor do sheep make themselves sheep. Each one of these are determined by the grace and mercy of God. But what do sheep do? The things of God. How will you know in the end if you are truly a sheep of God? How will you have confidence on the day of judgment, the Bible says, that you have loved others as Christ has loved you? So can you say, I'm a Christian, but I don't do Christ-like things? Not according to the Bible. You are really a goat. You're going to be in trouble. And the Bible says, many will say, but I've done this, and I've done that. And he'll still say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Why? Because their heart was a heart of sin. So it's not just charity that saves a person. Remember, it's being born again, saved from your sin that saves a person. But out of being saved, you do charity. So it's not like you can ever do enough to become a sheep. But once you are a sheep, this is how you live but can sheep go back to acting like goats? Yep, they did it all the time in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you scroll back up, I have the example there of Ezekiel, and the Bible says that the uh, people of God right here, um, no, scroll up a little bit more, thank you, Ezekiel 34, 17, it says the people of God were God's sheep, the sheep of his pasture, but during the time of their sin, some became rams and goats and all of these other things because they had disobeyed God, and it goes back to the same illustration of the virgin. You're not of me. You're not my people. You're not doing what I would do. So then he cursed the Israelites. Even though they were by their nationality Israelites, he cursed them with the pagans because they were acting like goats. They were acting like the people in the other nations. Let's go to the closing and put it together, and then we'll go back to worshiping. Those who came in here, heard me preaching, going, man, what's going on? Well, number one, come on time, and you'll know what's going on. Uh, Number two, we're going to go back to worshiping because I was so fired up after the first service. I said, I'm going to go right into this. God is in this church. We're not ever having church as usual. Amen? I have to go and do my third service, a funeral after this, for precious Diane and her family. And I can tell you here today that we're going to give them the gospel and we're going to give them comfort because we believe the same Jesus that said these things, says the things, I will be with you and never forsake you, that he wipes every tear, hallelujah, and that there's, there's nothing that can take us out of his hands. But the question we have to get from this sermon is, will we be a wise virgin? Will we be a faithful servant and will we be a charitable sheep? Because today, my friends, God is going to judge you if he comes back. Today. You can't do it when he comes back. And so oftentimes we think on judgment day, that's when I'm going to have the negotiation. That's when I'm going to, go try, you know, I'm going to try to make up for everything I didn't do. No, in each one of these stories, we're told that the judgment happens unexpectedly So you can't go back and fix it. It's what you do now. So I want to ask you today, if you are a Christian, live up to what a Christian is. If you are a virgin, if you are a servant of God, if you are a sheep, do those things and do them until Christ comes back. And the Bible says you will be happy, happy, happy on that day, and you will be given many rewards. So will I. We'll be there together. But if you're here today and you're not doing these things, repent. Repent. Say, Lord, forgive me. I haven't been a wise virgin. I'm, I'm, I'm falling asleep. I'm not keeping my passion for you. I'm getting lazy in my service for you. Or as a servant, I'm not being faithful, God. I'm just burying what you taught me. I come to church every now and then. I don't really multiply it out in the world. Or God, I don't see you needing anything. You know what? Heaven has enough money. I'm going to use what I have for my own for and No more. See, those kinds of people are going to be very shocked on judgment day. Be right with God. And then lastly, if you're here today and you would say, I've never really known any of this. I'm not really what a person would call a Christian. Well, the good news is you can become this now. You can become a virgin. You can become holy. All of your past wickedness, all of the defilement can be forgiven. You can become a servant of God. You don't have to work for the devil anymore. The devil is a wicked slave master. He don't care about you. Come work for Jesus. Working for Jesus is fun. Amen. You're in the father's business. And do what God said to do as a charitable sheep. Look at how you can first and foremost serve this church and the community that you're in. If this is your home church, give to the things that are at need here. Help the children that are hungry here. Help the families that are in need here. Just for starters, we're still doing the meal train for Juan and his family. You can get on that app and give to them right now and sign up a day. Help out his son Elijah. Offer to do babysitting. That's tangible right now. Or you can go, you know, to the youth group or to the children's ministry and start volunteering or go to a life group and start volunteering there and do something for Jesus. Whatever you do, do something for Jesus. I love how in that list there's all of these different things where if we all tried to do it, we couldn't all do it. But there's people in every church and in every culture and society and time where if we take on our parts, we do what God called us to do, we'll be good. Not all of us are going to be called to be Chick-fil-A's or the next Christian business or the next YMCA or this next charity, but we can all do something in our own world. Maybe we can help those charities. Maybe we can help those places, and we can see what God can do in us and through us. I just want this church, as we ask the band to come back up here, please, and then we'll sing a little bit, and then we'll give you the tithe and offering announcements. Is that okay? Is that cool? I just want us as a church to go so hard for God that we change this generation. I had a pastor call me up the other day, it was on a Friday, and I don't want to say too much about him because he's an older gentleman, humble, and he's really asking for help. And so if he's listening to this, you know I love you, my brother. And he said, I haven't been out in my community in years. And his church is literally on a block with houses. So to the left of his church is a house in its yard, and on the right is a house in its yard, and across the street is all houses. So it's like house, 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 church, house, 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 and all across the street is houses. And he called me up, and he said, man, I was listening to you talk to your dad's Bible study, and I was following you this last week in the other church you preached at. He said, I feel convicted. I need to get out. I need to get out. And I said, brother, let's go right now. Let's go right now. Why is that? Because I want to make money in the kingdom I want kingdom blessings So it'd just be like you call me up going Hey man, Facebook is selling some of its shares At a discount price Do you want to get in on it? Or, you know, some type of legitimate thing I'd be like, yeah, of course, man You know, I want to be in on something that's going to multiply So within the, what, hour of him calling me Just to express his heart I drive right over to where he is And we start evangelizing, preaching the gospel. And I could see something begin to change in him. I could see that at first when I called him up and I said, uh, he said, hello, Joe. And I go, hey, man of God, how are you doing? He goes, I don't feel like a man of God. I don't feel like I'm doing all this right. When we were witnessing, I could see the man of God in his eyes. I could see that when we do the things of God, it fulfills us. Right now for Amy's practicums in Bible college, Amy has to have ministry outside of our church ministries to fit with her schedule. So she started doing things at her park for the kids. But the weather changed, and you can't do it outside and expect a lot of kids to be there. So she asked the park to let her come on inside. And they let her come inside, and she does like sidewalk Sunday school with them. She teaches them the things of God. But yesterday nobody came. But she put up on her Facebook, but I was faithful to be there. And on her way out, she met two little boys and told them about Jesus. How do you think that's going to add up over time? Amy's going to be holding two bags of gold. She's going to double up. Amen. I mean, this is our life. One last story. I was with my dad last weekend, and it was cold, but we were out at the skate park, and we were preaching and doing great things. And I could see in some of his team that they were just so like new to this. And many of them have been Christians for years. Most of them are a little bit younger than my dad, but kind of like between 50 and 60 years old. Call them the gray-haired club. I mean, like I was doing the Bible study. was like 20 gray-haired folks. I fit right in, you know. I was like, I'm one of you. I'm your people. They're like patting me on the head. That's okay. You don't have to try so hard. So we go out, and one of these guys, I don't know, maybe he's in his 50s, late 50s, early 60s, we're talking. And he's like, explain to me why your church started all of this. How did this happen? Because your dad talks about it now with Ocala for Jesus. Tell me about Chicago for Jesus. And I told him, I said there was nothing that you would have looked at when we first started it and wanted to write an article about us. There would have been nothing that you would have said, this is amazing, this is profound. It was just a few people going, we're gonna live this out. And I said, we didn't attach to it. Well, we'll do discipleship as long as it's working. We said, we'll announce this until we go to heaven with Jesus. So now it either works or it doesn't. We didn't go out door to door or, you know, meeting people, fellowshipping on the streets, saying, well, if they don't come tonight, we're not going to go back out because that doesn't work. We said, we're going to be on the streets till Jesus comes back. And we're, we're just going to do it. It's, it's settled. Just like I'm going to love my wife and be fruitful and do my marital duties all the time, I'm going to be fruitful and plant some seed up in this culture. And then I said to him, but slowly but surely, it began to multiply And I started to tell him stories about Amy and David, how they got one to the Lord at a bus stop. And then I started telling stories about how Rudy found a flyer because people throw our flyers down all the time, but he found one on the ground. And that's how he came to know Jesus. I told a story about how Jared, before every youth service, we'd go out evangelizing and You know, wouldn't see a lot of them come, but Jared got saved before service evangelism. And I said, when you start adding it all up, you start to see, come on, ching, 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 ching. Come on. I start to feel like, uh, you know, duck McStuffins, whatever, and the duck tail. You know, before you know it, you're swimming in the gold. Before you know it, you're swimming in the fruit. And you're seeing God change this person's life and then this person's life. And then, literally, my wife and I, yesterday, as we were doing teen Bible quiz, that uh, junior Bible quiz, that, that contest I was telling you about, I was looking at the picture and this might bring me to tears again of all of these children if you can find it it's on my Facebook with their awards and everything I began to look at these children and almost every single one of these children are coming from families that were won to the Lord here if that come on friends if that's not a bag of gold if that's not precious in the sight of God I don't know what is so it's not like he's dangling us over the flames of hell going you better work for me or I'm casting you out I'm sending you to hell what he's doing is he's saying are these children worth your time are these children worth your love is this what you consider gold I mean, you look at the Santiago family here. You, you look at Emiliano's daughter here, a, a single father, one to the Lord in this ministry. You look at the Riasco's daughter here. You look at Mildred here. You look at Berto and Griselda's son here. You look at the Pacheco's there. All of those people that I'm naming had been baptized. Their parents in this church. Woo, thank you, Jesus. And I'm telling you, listen to me. When those white suburban people see us coming, they don't know what's, what, what they're what red right in for. Because there's been a lot of, like, you know, urban ministry-minded stuff in the assemblies of God. So a lot of those churches moved out of the inner city. And so when they look at us, they're like, okay, okay, is, is this, you know, Eddie Berto? Okay, thank you for coming. We spanked their fannies. I love seeing little Johnny and Dylan and all of the Skyler. I see them looking around like, what happened here? Because I told you from the beginning, it's not a race thing. My people are not known by a color. My fruit, my gold, what I'm bringing to heaven with me in Jesus' name is not known by a color. It's not known by a culture. Of this world. It's not known by an economic status. Because I'm just gonna be honest, you get you get around them. This church, you can tell is that church. All the women dressing like this, nice little hair, all the nice little person, you can tell. And then this church, they all look the same. I love it. When you look at our church, and you can't pick out what culture is more dynamic. Is it Asian? Is it Latino? Is it this? We need some of our African-American kids. Where's our kids? TJ, you got multiplied. Come on now. <laughs> give, me, give me some of my baby kids. I need some baby kids up in here. Amen. Bringing them. I'm bringing them. Because you can't, you can't put your finger on it and go, well, it's that culture. It's this culture. Or it's that economic status. Or it's, it's this kind of people. No, we God's people. And we're bearing fruit. And so we ought to see that as our goal. Our goal is not to try to compete with the mega messes, I mean mega churches around the city. We're here competing with the devil to plunder hell and populate heaven. I want to go to heaven but not alone. Amen. I want to bring people with me. If that's you, stand up. Come on, say thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Do it, God. Do it, God. I'm going to ask our altar workers to come. We will not be dismissing. We'll give you the announcements. We got some good ones coming up. And we're going to teach you about a lesson in giving. But I want us to put up this song. How many have heard a Tom Petty song before I won't back down? Okay. You guys are more spiritual than me. None of you all heard of this, except maybe one person. I was listening to this song while I was fishing. And the Lord broke something over me. Let's put it up here, brother. Let's put it up, please. And the Lord broke something over me. And I want us to sing it out today. That I won't back down. That I'm going to stand my ground. And that even if you put me in the gates of hell, I'm not backing down. I know it may not sound spiritual because you guys hear it from, you know, Tom Petty. But Tom Petty borrowed that from our God we just borrowing it back because where did he get gates of hell from and so there are some songs of our culture that talk about the righteous things and we just need to put them back where they belong let's pray father as we get ready to go after you and seek you and keep our lamps burning help us not to back down help us not to be afraid help us not to be a a a, a virgin that stops burning for you help us not to be servants that bury out of fear what you've given us and help us not to be so self-centered that we can't put our eyes on you take a few moments right now in your own heart are you doing what's right are you ready for judgment are you ready to be happy 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 if you're not get it right right now get it right you don't know when he's coming back you don't know And then, if you came here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not even working for the Master yet. I'm not even a virgin yet. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask Him to change you. Ask Him to set you on fire. He'll do it right now. As we sing, please come to these altars if you want someone to pray with you. Let's sing it out. No, I won't back down. Help us, Jesus.